forever. Dog. Comic books, comic time. Writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning on winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Hi, whoever's listening. Uh, my name is Cena Grace. I am a comic book writer and illustrator. Uh, today we're going to talk about the quote-unquote last issue of my current Iceman series at Marvel Comics. For people who don't know, uh, Iceman actually came out, well, both as a comic book and as a gay man, <laughs> um, a little while ago. Uh, he came out as a gay man. Marvel Comics hired me to make a comic book, uh, you know, sort of chronicling his journey as a man sort of in his late 20s, early 30s, uh, you know, dealing with the fact that he'd sort of uh, kept a secret from all of his friends. Uh, anyway, the book came out uh, and was canceled. <laughs> um, and then a funny little thing happened. It sort of found its audience in the book market, you know, like uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and uh, brick and mortar shops all around the nation. And suddenly there was a demand for more stories. So uh, what we're talking about today is the fifth and final issue in the relaunch uh, that came out sort of uh, at the end of summer, early fall. And the reason why I, I kind of keep giggling or, or snorting whenever I, I say the word ending <laughs> um, is because uh there's another another ending uh, to this series uh, that we're going to talk about later uh, in a one shot called Uncanny X-Men Winter's End uh, that comes out a month after this one does. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll get into that in a second. But anyway, I just thought it'd be really fun to talk about this specific book, this specific series, because this like I've had to end this quote unquote laugh, giggle, chortle, snort, whatever, uh, a few times now. Um, so it's, it's a weird process and, and I don't know, I just want to talk about it with you and, um, let you know all the funny little Easter eggs I put into this book. It's a really special project. And anyway, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to also sort of, uh, indicate like little themes that, that may not immediately present themselves or may not, you wouldn't think, would be in a comic book. Um, anyway, so we're, we're diving right in. We're going to we're gonna do this like a DVD commentary. And I'm going to kind of go page by page and, and talk about some stuff. So in the first two pages of the book, uh, there's a flashback sequence uh, from when in the first series, Bobby started going out with his, you know, the first guy he ever dated, Judah Miller, um, handsome, handsome copywriter in Los Angeles. And uh, the reason... I put this flashback in. It was kind of an 11th hour decision. Um, and it had to do, I, I wanted for when people would pick up the uh, collection and, and when they're reading it as a whole, I wanted to create a little sort of a space, like literally figuratively um, for the reader between the end of issue four and the beginning of issue five, because the end of issue four, the cliffhanger is Iceman goes and confronts Mr. Sinister, who has spent the entire series uh, sort of doing this weird, like complicated over the top, uh, like cat and mouse game with Iceman because he wants to he wants to uh, unearth the secret of his powers and mind control an army of his own to essentially cleanse the earth and and move forward with his own agenda um nationalism and anyway so the last page of issue four is uh Iceman is seemingly stuck in a contraption that is going to you know uh make him brain dead uh, in the process of sinister getting what he wants and he shatters into i wanted it to be a million pieces but when you have an artist who's on deadline it's more like hundreds of pieces uh, anyway so he shatters and and breaks and sinister's like oh i didn't foresee that happening and i just wanted a little space when you're reading the trade paperback uh between that and then picking right back up uh another thing that started in the fourth issue uh was a a mutant pride parade 
that's going to figure into this issue too. And I, anyway, so I wanted this flashback to kind of uh, buy myself some reading time. And also in terms of themes and whatnot, there's a really, a really nice moment um, in this flashback between Bobby and Judah where he, he thanks him for basically giving him the chance to be quiet and to be sort of at peace with his own mind. Uh, you know, Bobby Drake, Iceman, has this reputation for being kind of a, a loudmouth prankster who's just chatty and bantery. And I, in examining the character and exploring where to go with him, I thought a lot about like stand-up comics and comedians who do fill the air with like nervous jokes. Like if you've ever been to a party with a bunch of stand-up comics, it's really, really, uh, I I, I want to say fun, but it also becomes not fun watching them just try to like one up each other and and talk over each other to see who can come up with the quip first. It's very exhausting. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to speak to that. And, and also, you know, that's sort of the universality of the character. He may be a gay guy, but I think anyone uh, has experiences with filling the air with noise. Um, so in this scene... I wanted to kind of accomplish that. I also wanted to do something sort of sexy and, and fun uh, for two guys on a date um, that was outside of my my own kind of idea of what would be like hot and sexy. I just wanted to give readers like, you know, we're back. This is this is this book is now clearly for an underserved audience who you know wants to see uh, sort of a variety of of queer stories in an action book. Um, so I thought it'd be really sexy to have them, uh, basically go on dirt bikes to a beach and, and drink some beers by the water. I just thought that was really hot. (laughs) Um, and then you get to see, you get to see Judah Miller's chest hair. Uh, that was a very important thing too. The artist drew him, uh, without any chest hair. And I was like, Hey, actually, uh, it's very important to the character that he have chest hair. Um, Anyway, and then another sort of Easter egg is the locator on page two says 13 beaches later. That is a Lana Del Rey reference for all my LDR fans out there. Um, so at any rate, uh, this flashback happens. You think it's kind of, you think it's kind of pointless and it, and it might be for people who aren't with me and that's cool. Uh, and then we come right back to Mr. Sinister trying to figure out what the heck happened, why Iceman exploded, and how come he hasn't retrieved any new data um, about his genetic coding. And then, you know, uh, Iceman reappears. And, uh, you know, he's like, hey, let's just say my decoy game is strong. And the so I I feel like it's very obvious what happens in issue four, uh, which has made me nervous this week, because I'm recording this the day after the book came out and i was just kind of like oh everyone like everyone's gonna know what happened everyone's gonna know that he created a nice clone um to basically uh sort of try and and best mr sinister but it's also a way for me to show rather than tell that the Iceman character has leveled up in a lot of regards like he is able to manipulate this ice golem to look and walk and fight exactly like him and i thought that was cool um so uh, now we're on page four and Mr. Sinister's all mad at him. And he's like, how'd you do that? And Iceman's like, you know, by essentially doing the thing you want from me. Like I, I created an ice golem and uh, he worked with Forge to put in a camera inside the golem. So that way he could kind of walk around and get a lay of the land, so to speak. Because th- again, there were all these just weird uh, traps and uh, kooky sort of like things standing in the way between, you know, him and his Iceman and his lair. And for people who uh, read the fourth issue, I was deeply inspired by uh, a visit to Sleep No More, that production in New York where it's interactive theater. Um, and I decided to have, like, I just thought, of course, Mr. Sinister is just so, he's just such a showman that like he would, of course, have his lair like under, an interactive like theater stage. So when Iceman goes there, uh, people who don't know what they're looking at, it's the merchant of Venice. (laughs) Um, and, and that speaks to as well to sort of who Mr. Sinister is as a villain and what his point of view is. Um, so you can kind of 
add that layer to that whole set piece um, and and understand that it speaks to kind of my larger messaging about identity and about uh, how people navigate the world. So anyway, I, I, I haven't reread that issue for this, so I'm not going to completely go into a deep dive of issue four. And we don't have very much time, except for we have all the time in the world. Uh, but I'm still going to stick to this issue. Anyway, so Iceman's basically like saying... Uh, I know I'm dumber than you because you're 200 or something years old, Mr. Sinister. Uh, so I bought myself an extra life and now I'm, you know, I'm actually going to beat you. And uh, Sinister's like, whatever, I have a backup backup plan because I'm Mr. Sinister and I am smarter than you. Um, so we then cut to the Mutant Pride Parade. And uh, we see a really, really big shot of Kurt Wagner, a.k.a. Nightcrawler, saying hi to some of the security at the parade. And he's, you know, basically the X-Men are doing a perimeter check because it's very much an event that they're uh, like co-sponsoring or probably just fully sponsoring because I don't really know many other large mutant organizations <laughs> in the uh, Marvel universe. Um and the reason why this drawing of Kurt is so big is that my artist, Nate Stockman, who is such a wonder and such a delight and also has probably done the best interpretation of Manhattan out of all the artists on the series to date uh, for a guy who lives in Ireland. But anyway, uh, Nate really, really loves Nightcrawler and had not gotten the chance to professionally draw him so this was sort of one of my my parting gifts to him was like okay like all right nightcrawler and man did he take did he take that opportunity and did he run with it that is a big shot of him but it looks cool and nightcrawler is very sexy i like his i like his beard we're not going to talk about the logic about a furry man having a beard but anyway uh so he teleports away um and then the guards tap their hats and they reveal themselves to be more of Mr. Sinister's uh, marauders from the first issue of the series. And uh, they are essentially um, gonna sort of start a bloodbath um, and kill a bunch of people at the parade, which that's not fun. Uh, and they're about to go after some people who are who are exiting the parade and they're saying some hipster stuff. Um this whole series has a bunch of commentary on millennials and Gen Z people. Nothing, nothing judgmental, just commentary. Uh, anyway, so these people are about to die and get shot. Uh, and then just to further explain, because I do feel like this became a very complicated uh, story arc. But, you know, Mr. Sinister needs bodies to manipulate. So that's why he's anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't need to I don't need to explain myself to you. Stop judging me. Um so then uh, they're about to, you know, kill some people and Madden and the Morlocks uh, who have been character, sort of a subplot running under the story arc uh, come and, and help save the day with Bishop. Because again, in the previous issue, Bishop talked to Bobby and was just kind of like, you're doing what now? Like, you're going to go fight Sinister alone and you're not having any of the X-Men help you. So uh, Bishop went to Madden and was just kind of like, I think things are going to get bad. Like I can sniff trouble. Hey, like let's, let's be Bobby's backup plan. Um, and that is a whole, whole thing. That is a whole, that is the whole point of this series that I'll get to in, in a few pages. Uh, but right now we are going to talk about the appearance of, uh, Emma Frost and her brother, Christian. And again, for people who, uh, have not been reading the series and just really love this podcast and have heard things about me and they're like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just listen to him talk about, uh, the fifth issue of a book that I know nothing about. Cause that's a thing that happens. Um, for you, for you folks, uh, Emma Frost is the white queen, uh, in the midst of my story arc, like between issues one and issues, you know, issue one and five, uh, she went nuclear evil <laughs> in her X-Men Black one shot where she became uh, she usurped the title of as the Black King. And before then, she was just kind of, you know, no one liked her. She, you know, had started a war. She had, you know, quadruple crossed the X-Men. Uh, but now she's really, really like toxic. No one like, nu again, nuclear. No one wants to. No one 
wants to be her friend at all and she's a super enemy of the x-men but her brother who in the second issue of the series we kind of learned uh has has started developing mutant powers later in life he is a uh he he can basically do a psionic projection that is uh his father who he had killed in the second issue christian frost is a gay man um his dad did not handle it very well had him institutionalized only after uh doing every other thing an awful person would do to someone uh about their sexuality uh I, I can't remember all the words right now because this coffee's not kicking in. But anyway, uh, Christian is a very, very tortured and damaged soul. Like his dad literally institutionalized him and then sent the guy's boyfriend to another country and like paid him a bunch of money to like never talk to him again. And that was before I came in uh, to this series. So I, in it, you know, I really wanted to have him um, be a part of this arc to sort of tether him Emma Frost and Bobby Drake together because for people who know the Iceman character the White Queen and Iceman have a very complicated history she lived in his brain and so there's always this like question of like oh does she know Bobby's gay and like how come she didn't out him and the the argument's like duh like why like she's got better things to do than you know out some gay boy Uh, she's a super villain (laughs) of you know with like a lot of uh potential for destruction and i just don't think that's on her mind but also her brother's like her favorite thing and the only thing in this world that she really really loves and so she's incredibly uh sensitive to to that journey and to why someone you know would have a complicated relationship with their own identity so it was this you know again it it was just to kind of uh show and tell how complicated all of these things are and and to have an you know I wanted to really expand and breathe life into the larger sea of uh, LGBTQ identities in this comic. Um, So anyway, Christian wants to go to the Mutant Pride Parade because he wants to feel like it's okay to be himself. He wants to see him, you know, himself and other people and, and breathe and feel okay because his dad really just did some awful, awful, you know, conditioning to him. So, they're walking around, yada, yada. Emma starts senses, starts to uh, telepathically sense danger and violence afoot. And Christian's like, yo, let me help. And she's like, absolutely not, Christian. And he's like, no, please. And and this is a whole thing about agency. He just wants to have control in his life. And he just wants to uh, be able to redirect all the pain that he's gone through and and harness it and utilize it. So that's kind of what the scene is about. You know, Emma's like, all right. I get it. You know, <laughs> she's like, she's like, all right, fine. Yeah. Like, you don't need to convince me. You don't need to work too hard to convince me to to start inflicting violence upon people. Let's go do it. Um, let's go rescue some folks. And uh, in the background, we see uh, the drag queen MC of Mutant Pride, Shade, looking over at them and is like, and Shade's kind of like, oh, I know her. Like, I'm going to follow that bitch and see what's up. And uh, what what's funny is I'll tell you uh, a line that did not make it to print was Shade does refer to Emma Frost as that bitch <laughs> or this bitch. I think it was that bitch, um, which I'm fine. I'm glad it didn't make it to print. I was definitely like, ooh, this could this could not go the right way because that word is terrible. Um, we shouldn't use it. But in drag culture, like queens do use it uh, as a way of saying like you know buddy or whatever you know uh so on the one hand sad on the one hand glad because i don't need unnecessary drama in my life um but uh she does say henny in a later page uh so that was you know i i really like shade and i wanted to expand again i just wanted to expand the visual vocabulary of of queer identities um, that was sort of my goal with this whole story arc was, okay, I'm back. Uh, we have done a lot of work focusing on sort of one white gay guy being in his feelings. And this whole series, uh, was sort of built on breaking out of that. Like, okay, he's done the work on himself. 
now it's time to expand his perspective and help him grow and be a better ally in his community, which um, to sort of start going on a tangent because it's my time and you're listening and I don't care. Uh, that was sort of a lesson I, I, I wanted to explore for myself. And, and I, you know, people used to ask me a lot in the first story arc. They're like, oh, like, in what ways do you relate to the character? And, you know, you have to do the writerly thing of being like, well, we're, we're so completely different, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, I don't fill the air with nervous banter. I don't make dumb puns. I don't shoot ice out of my fingers, but I do all of those things. I do shoot ice out of my fingers. Um, but I, I, I wanted to, I, I just wanted to spend some time really having, um, a character to just think outside of himself and, and, and not be so self-obsessed. Um, especially a guy like Bobby Drake who, you know, I think even before the whole gay thing and before, uh, the conversation of subtext regarding his sexual identity, he always had that. Like he was always the kid of the group, the brat, the baby, uh, the spoiled selfish one. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of grow him up a little bit and, and make him, do the right thing and have the answers. And, and that's sort of something, you know, I want for myself too. So anyway, I just, you know, we're, we both aspire to be each other. He wants to be a, a mediocre comic book writer and I want to be a superhero. Um, so <laughs> cut back to the fight scene with Sinister. And it's here that the sort of themes of the flashback come into play where Iceman just starts super reading Mr. Sinister and you know it's not like he's like telling Mr. Sinister he's like it's not that you like have some grand plan to build this army like that's why you're doing it it's because you're lonely and like no one wants to like work with you no one wants to help you like you're alone so you have to like build friends and I feel bad for you because I understand you because I was lonely too he doesn't say that part but that was sort of the goal is just like like how like yeah like you almost sympathize for mr sinister because this entire arc he is just alone talking to himself about how obsessed he is with Iceman, um and he's such a wretched human being that like you know he gets Iceman, he talks at him for two pages and then blows him up like he's a yeah he that's why he's a bad guy he's all wrong um but could you imagine like being in this world for several centuries and no one wants to be your friend um it's kind of sad Anyway, so Sinister's just like, okay, whatever, I still hate you and I'm still an evil person and I'm still, you know, rotten to my core. Here is my cool, uh, like, weird electric spear thing that Nate Stockman designed uh, that can basically slice and dice through your ice armor. Um, and something we didn't do that I thought was like a genius idea and I'm really glad my editor kind of reminded me that my 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 sort of like at at my core, uh, I like to I like to tell happy stories. I like to tell positive stories. I like to tell uplifting stories. And originally, this fight scene was going to be like Mr. Sinister really like uh, digs this like you know weapon super deep into he he you know he he really grinds into Iceman's skin and. Uh, I was going to try and figure out, I was going to try and make it so for some reason how Iceman fought through this, he would end up with um, some ice scars on his face. So he would, he would never be able to de-ice the scars. And it was going to be this whole metaphor for uh, Bobby Drake sacrificing his passability as a, you know, non-mutant, non-mutant individual um, in order to like protect and save other people. It was, it, it was just a little too complicated and, and there's already enough of that sort of subtext happening in the arc that I'll get to in a second, uh, that I didn't need to do that. And my editor was just kind of like, that's a little bleak. And like, none of us want to really track his like ice scar moving forward. Um, but I just thought it'd be really sexy if he had like a squallion heart from Final Fantasy VIII scar, like on his face made of ice. Um, but that didn't happen. And it's for the better because uh, when I went back into the script, I ended up, I was like, oh, right. I forgot. Like the whole point of this entire arc was the opposite of an ice scar. I had pitched this entire arc as like, oh, and then by the end, 
uh, he actually levels up as a mutant. So on the next page, uh, Sinister is like, you know, going to deliver a killing blow and Bobby is able to shift some of his body into vapor. And for people who are deep X-Men fans, uh, that is something I believe that happened in Mike Carey's run. He was the one to to make it so Iceman can basically turn to vapor and sort of teleport and stuff. And when I started the series way back in 2017, or I guess I probably started it late 2016, but uh, at the end of the first arc, when uh, after Bobby Drake comes out to his family and he's like sitting with his dad, he talks about his ability to turn into vapor, mist, so on and so forth. And he he gets real vulnerable with his dad and says like, I I don't really know how I come back from it. Uh, I just disappear. He's like, I just think about being nothing. Um, and, and, and it was both meant to be a little bit poignant, um, on that page, the word nothing is used like three different ways. And that's, uh, very important to that arc. And I'm not going to get into it, but you know, for any scholars out there, analyze the word nothing in Iceman volume one thawing out. Uh, but with this arc, I wanted to be like, you know what? Like, fuck this. Like I'm done with like, why am I making my character like less powerful? I did that not only to just, uh, you know, be poignant and, and whatever, but I also wanted to like pull back just the number of abilities the character had. So I said, okay, he doesn't turn to vapor often because it's a form of uh, not self-harm, but it's a, it, 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 it's a scary place to go. You know, it's a, it's a metaphor for, dark thoughts, suicidal thoughts, like in the sense of just disappearing, you know? Um, but then with this arc, I was like, fuck that. Like he's an Omega level mutant and it's not going to be my problem after, you know, the series, like it's not my, it's not my job to, uh, limit and police his powers. It's my job to make him like the best goddamn hero he can be. So, uh, what I wanted at the end of this was to sort of bookend his, uh, his sort of fear of turning to vapor and have him uh, once again sort of like claim some agency in all of this and uh, instead of fully forming into vapor he can now sort of change states uh, you know while maintaining a solid state in one part of his body so that's what this is he you know sinister tries to stab him and part of his body just turns to vapor and it the spear wafts right through um, and then Bobby goes huh like, look at what you just made me do. And that is a very reluctant nod to that Taylor Swift song. I hate that song. I, well, sorry, I strongly dislike that song. I strongly, uh, I have a lot of apathy and ambivalence towards Taylor Swift, but I do like that phrase. So I tweaked it a little bit just so people wouldn't be like, yes, reputation, bitch. Um, because I just don't want to give her that attention um because why should i um why should i use my platform to push a political taylor swift who took years just to say that she didn't like donald trump um anyway that's neither here nor there everything's political folks uh so we cut back to the mutant pride parade kurt teleports uh you know he's doing his perimeter and he sees now that there is like an all-out melee on the streets between the Morlocks, the Marauders, uh, and Bishop. And, um, at this point, Christian is in the fight. Uh, and my favorite line of dialogue happens, um, in this double page spread. Uh, we are now on pages 12 and 13, I believe of the story. Um, and so I, I don't know if I should go to the joke first or if I should talk about the meaning, um, let's do the joke first. So, uh, this guy's about to attack Christian Frost, who is like, you know, screaming at this marauder being like, and that's for all the pain you caused me. Um, and he's about to get attacked. And then the marauder gets, uh, sucked into a pocket void, uh, that shade, the drag queen MC created. 
And there is my favorite line of dialogue. Shade goes, don't mind me, just throwing shade, Henny. Because when I created this character, I was like, yeah, she creates pocket voids, aka she throws shade. That's why her name is Shade. Um, Such a, like, I created a whole new character just to make that one joke, people. That is my commitment to myself and my own dumb sense of humor. Um, Also, sidebar, uh, again, today is the day after issue four came out that we're recording the session. And there are already like three to four pieces of shade fan art uh, that I got on on Twitter. So that's really cool. Thank you, folks. Uh, Anyway, now to speak to the meaning of this spread and the and sort of the the deeper read on what this whole story arc is about. Um, For me, it was really important that I talk about marginalized groups, even within a marginalized group, uh, like the queer community. And there is a bit of a like hierarchy or tiers of uh, safety. And at the bottom are, you know, like the trans and non-binary folks, um, folks who deal with mental health issues, uh, and then people of color and drag queens, you know, sex workers, all of that stuff. Um, so who is it? Who, 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 who's the first response when there is a, a catastrophe at the mutant pride parade? All the marginalized people. They're the ones, uh, fighting the fight while we are out partying and none of us even know it. You know, none of us would even see it because we're out partying. Um, and that's what the scene serves to kind of illustrate to the reader is that, you know, there are some people out there who don't have the privilege or the luxury to forget their problems for a day and a night, that their problems are always there and they are always fighting. Um, and that is sort of what is so important about the X-Men to me is that you're always going to be up against bigotry and prejudice and hate. Um, and there's really no solution besides perseverance and love. Um, and that's, so that's what this arc is about. And that's what the scene serves to illustrate, you know, uh, Christian says like, seriously, it never ends. And Emma goes, welcome to the real world. Uh, because that is the truth of it. Um, we go back to the fight with Mr. Sinister. Um, another one of my best dumb dad jokes as like sinister keeps trying to spear through bobby and he keeps vaporing up he goes oh is this what the kids mean by vape life Uh, (laughs) don't worry everyone i hate myself too um so this is like you know the the writerly scene where you're like okay we got to wrap up and get out of this fight scene so forge is like we have a problem um and sinister is screaming at him And again, this scene is kind of speaking to sort of like, why is like, why does the supervillain think what he's doing is right? And why does the good guy know what he's doing is right? You know, they're just sort of talking at each other about about those larger themes. Um, And finally, Bobby is like, over it. He has to move on.org. And again, I wanted to really create some set pieces where he would be showing off his Omega level mutant realness. And for people again, who just love this podcast and came in with a vague curiosity about me an Omega level mutant uh, is essentially, there are a handful of them in the Marvel comics universe that are so powerful or have the potential to be so powerful that they could like, you know, nuke the world with their mutant powers. And Iceman is one of them and people criticized me in the first arc about not really exploring that and i had to use the entire story arc to show not tell uh that that was on purpose that that is uh the character not embracing you know his his not loving himself and so this whole arc has been like well he's good with himself now so he's gonna do some cool omega level mutant shit um and here he basically builds um armor around himself to take shape into uh the crazy winged ice monster we see in his brain in issue two uh that is a metaphor for all the things he's scared of about himself he you know he's scared to sort of revel in the breadth or the you know uh potential 
of of what he can do with his powers because he's scared of becoming evil and he's scared of doing something bad with his powers. So uh, it's completely intentional that he becomes the metaphor for the thing he's scared of. And once again, claims some agency in the goddamn situation. Uh, and he basically like sinks his claws into Sinister and starts flying up and crashing uh, through the roof. And I wanted to do something cool because, you know, with I don't really like books like you know you know in a horror movie where they're like cool we killed the bad guy but they didn't kill the bad guy and i don't mean the like fake out death i mean like you know well yeah he's in that burning building so he must be dead but we didn't see a body i just don't you know it's like it's really hard when you're telling serialized stories um and you can't like kill the bad guy and they're also not such nematodes that they could like get arrested at the end like when you know so i basically just had bobby hurt mr sinister really 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 bad and originally this didn't quite get drawn the way i wanted it to um and it might even also be a little bit because we're running out of space and there wasn't enough time to to kind of dedicate the panels to showing what i wanted but i wanted literally bobby to throw mr sinister like all the way up to the atmosphere because i just thought man that would really hurt to like hit the edge of our atmosphere and then come crashing down i was like that that you know because mr sinister is nigh invulnerable um or or, he has so many weird powers and i forget them don't get mad at me x-men fans the coffee still hasn't kicked in uh but anyway so that was sort of what this was was he was just going to be like you know he just basically like beats the tar out of him and essentially is like come at me again and i'll just keep beating the tar out of you like i'm gonna win you know you doofus and then uh bobby does a nice little swan dive uh back to manhattan and he's like still got more day to save um so we're back at the mutant pride parade and madden is you know about to get hit by one of Mr. Sinister's weird, ugly ice army that he has sent out there to help the Marauders. And basically, Iceman absorbs all the ice from these ice monsters. You can't see me. I just used my hands to gesture what he's doing. Um, and then redirects all that ice to encase the Marauders. So, in like two fell swoops, he saves the day. Um, and then, once again, another beautifully dumb pun madden's all like that was and iceman goes ice timing am i right um and then says waka waka which is a a a subtle nod to my old boss robert kirkman uh we used to do the walking dead letters columns together and he would say waka waka a lot (laughs) in those and so that was sort of my like hey rob um don't ever call him rob people don't ever shorten his name he doesn't like that i mean he won't get mad but that's not you know that's not what he's into. Um, so then we sort of have this aftermath page where back to making millennial Gen Z commentary. It's like the people are coming out of the mutant pride parade and they see sort of the debris of this like street brawl and they're just taking pictures. They're just posting content. They think it's an installation. They think it's like the cherry on top of the parade. They're like, oh my God, like look at this dystopic future that will happen if we are not vigilant. Oh God, can't wait to use this filter. Uh, I think the filter they use is X-Pro. <laughs> um, and and it's funny, a lot happens on this page uh, in, in a sense. Like I... Uh, it originally was not meant to have so much dialogue on it. And then my editor was like, Bishop doesn't talk a lot in this issue. And Bishop has been a big part of this arc. So we put in a couple lines of dialogue there to sort of also explain what the reader had just seen. Um, and we, you know, we move Emma out. She's like, all right, it's time for us to go. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It was just a, I, I, I just, again, it, 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 for me, it's the cherry on top of, again, these people who are in the shadows, uh, who are practically invisible to us are fighting. They save the day right under our noses. And we think it's entertainment for us. You know, we're like, oh, cool. Wow. Got to put that on Instagram. Um, so again, this is all speaking to this like larger idea of 
the the most marginalized are the first responders and they are also they get no acknowledgement after the fact um which is sort of you know that's kind of what it means to be a hero is like you just got to do the right thing and no one's gonna pat you on the back or give you a medallion for it uh, as much as everyone would like a medallion in their lives um so now we're on page 19 out of 20 and kitty pride is just like why didn't you tell me any of this bobby like why did you do all of this and not tell me um and i had my like it's funny because when i wrote the script like i had my reasoning like you know again it's like he's like i just wanted to i just wanted to be a hero i just wanted to like you know handle this because i can handle things like the first story arc in the series is all about how like you know, I, I fucking hide on the sidelines. So this has to be about me like making decisions and claiming, you know, once again, claiming agency in the narrative. Um, and then as I was writing it, I also was like, Oh, right. And then Kitty also, uh, didn't get married last year. She was supposed to marry Colossus and, uh, she, and like called it off. I can't remember why she had a lot of good reasons, um, but she didn't end up marrying Colossus and she's the headmistress of the X-Men and she has just like been thrust into this leadership position. Um, and I always feel like the Iceman book is my way to like psychologize what these characters are going through. So he was just kind of like, after everything you've been through, I wanted something to go right for you. I wanted you to have a good night. I wanted you to have fun. I wanted you to like revel in this parade and festival going well. Um, because I thought after what happened at your wedding, you needed a win. And that made me very happy. I don't think, you know, because like I, I I try to read every X-Men book, but I really, you know, I think so many big events keep happening in these books. And I just always am like, but when do they like, when do they actually deal? <laughs> like, when do they emotionally deal with all the shit they've gone through? And so that's kind of what the series is about is just <laughs> giving the space to acknowledge that the fact that these characters go through some crazy fucking shit. Um, and so we drop that it's his birth month. Cause Kitty's like, I'm going to get mad at you tomorrow. Some more. And Bobby's like, it's my birth month. Um, and he is, uh, on the last page, he plops himself to sleep and he's like, oh, I deserve this. All right. Good night. Me. Um, and in the shadows outside of the X-Mansion, looming, staring uh, with what seems to be dark intent, is the Ice Master. And again, for people who just love this podcast and don't know anything about me or the X-Men, the Ice Master is an Iceman from the future that was shown in Brian Michael Bendis' Battle of the Atom arc. And he... Uh, was really really cool and uh was in the future and so why is he in the present and why is he saying sleep well bobby i'll be seeing you very soon what is he gonna do i do know because i wrote what he does in uncanny x-men winter's end where they confront each other on bobby's birthday of all days talk about that man that's like an episode of buffy the worst things happen on the main character's birthday um so to sort of sum everything up or to talk about something that i wouldn't talk about with anyone besides a microphone in a room uh for public consumption is uh yeah it was weird ending this again um and then also as i'm writing the ending realizing i get to do another another ending because as i was writing this i i sent an email off to my editor being like hey uh i get that having these 100 pages to tell another chapter in the iceman story is a complete blessing and privilege and i super appreciate it however um y'all had told me some stuff is going to be happening in the extermination run where the time-displaced X-Men get sent back into their timeline. And what that means is the teenage Bobby Drake that existed concurrently with ours uh, when the series started is no longer here. But that guy is the whole reason our guy came out of the closet. Um, I have some stuff to say about that. There, That shouldn't, you know, speaking to my earlier point about this series being the place where people can actually 
emotionally uh, process what they've gone through. I was like, no one's going to talk about that when that story arc is gone. But that's that's a big deal. Like the younger version who helped me reconcile my sexual identity is gone. Ellipsis. Like the, I was like, I, I think there's a story to be told there and I'd like to tell that story. So while I'm writing this ending, uh, you know, Marvel's in the background being like, should we? And I said like, hey, like, could I get like an annual or a one shot or it might be too late to say like an issue six. Um, and then also readers, listeners, friends, family, foes. Uh, the other reason I did that was like, I thought, oh, it would be very weird if the third volume of my Iceman arc was slimmer in the spinal region than the second volume. So I was like, I'd, I'd really like just like one more chapter, just so the spine, like, just so, you know what I mean? I just look weird if it was like a 100 page book, a 120 page book and another 100 page book. So I was like, mm, I want to also like get that spine a little thicker so it looks good in the bookstore shelves looks it, it'll feel right um but i also had a like i had a story to tell so anyway they were mulling that over and coming to the decision to give me uh this 30 page story as i'm writing this ending um so that was a lot of fun and and, and kind of i had to be a little flexible in terms of what i do and when i do it because uh, there are still a couple of loose threads um i don't think the reader will feel completely resolved about Iceman's relationship with madden and the morlocks so that gets explored a little bit more i wanted to process the fact that um this time displaced version of Iceman is no longer here um and i also i wanted to keep him single uh this whole story arc but i still wanted to do more with that uh that's kind of been an an interesting aspect I've been exploring with this character is I wanted him to be happy, but I didn't want his happiness to come from like landing a significant other. I, I, you know, it's sort of that thing of how the sex and the city TV series ended. Like, yes, she gets back together with Mr. Big, but at the end of the series, it's not, they don't live together. They don't, all you know is that they're going out still again and that it seems to be going well. Um, but for all intents and purposes, you know, this woman is, you know, she's single and dating him, basically, or whatever. Um, and I wanted that for Iceman. I wanted his happiness and and contentment to come from just being good with himself and not because he's got a boyfriend. Um, but we do, I do play with that a little more in Winter's End. Um, we'll see how you all feel about that. I never know. You never know. But anyway, uh, yeah, so it was a really weird experience to to end something that I had to painfully end, like, not just, like, six months prior. Um, and I just had a blast with this arc. I just decided to tell the story I wanted to read and uh, do things with the character that I, as a person, as an X-Men fan and a, um, as a gay man and as a person with so many aspects that... You know, you can't just boil me down to two or three qualifiers as someone who would just like to what what I would want to see in a comic book um, called Iceman. So I did that and um, it was very bittersweet and fun. And I had a thought and I lost it and I'm really upset. Uh, it's funny. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm emotional right now. And I don't know if I'm emotional because of what I'm talking about or the fact that I lost my train of thought. Um, so at any rate, hold on. I realize we can edit this so I can just be silent for a moment. And think about what I was trying to say. Um, oh, right. That's what it was. Um, yeah, my goal, like, if you if you read this book against the first two volumes of the series, there's a lot of mirroring happening in terms of structure. And that's intentional. It's not because I'm a lame storyteller and only have, like, three tricks up my sleeve. I really wanted to, um, in broad strokes, kind of uh hit certain like targets that happened in the first arc but now with the character grown up and mature and evolved and showing how he handles these situations whether it's confronting a female figure in his past who has an intimate knowledge about him or it's being faced with a bad guy that you know is technically unstoppable 
or having really difficult conversations with people. I just wanted to kind of uh, show that there is character growth. Um, and I wanted to have him in a better place than when he started. And I wanted him to just sort of do things more confidently. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm really proud. I, I, I love the art in this book. Uh, Nate Stockman was so, so cool and so much fun to work with. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't... I, I there's still so much more I want to say and do with the character, but also it's really nice because I feel like, you know, if and when this thing gets collected into one big book, uh, it at least has the ending it deserves. Um, and that just makes me happy. Anyway, everyone should pick up uh, Uncanny X-Men Winter's End. It's really cool uh, for, I think I can say this. I think I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, everyone is dressed in mod clothing like 60s mod clothes because they have bobby's birthday at java agogo uh which is sometimes called a coffee agogo but that is where he had his 18th birthday in like one of the very first x-men comics that is how much of a fan i am is that i know these things and i just thought it would be really funny to like be like yeah see that's a deep cut for you and this is why i'm a mediocre writer because anyone else would you know, find an obscure character and, and do some cool Grant Morrison shit. And me, I'm name checking a coffee shop that he had his birthday at. Um, but the place is like a cool mod, hip, uh, you know, venue. And it's also my way of sort of explaining a way that like 60 years of canon have happened over the course of like 10 or 11, you know, IRL years for these characters. And so to have the place be mod themed explains why like everyone's wearing like, you know, um, kind of like beatnik hipster clothes in the earlier issues. And I don't know. I thought it was funny. It, that's just for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I love this arc and uh, I appreciate everyone for giving it a shot. And I, I appreciate y'all for listening. Um, fingers crossed I get more and and have to re-end it all over again. Um, all I know is if I do, if that happens, I'm not going to take uh, the act of starting and ending this book so seriously. Um if and if and when there's more Iceman stories to tell and I'm the guy steering the ship again, uh, I think I'm going to go weird. I'm going to go weird and go bananas, go gonzo and just have him like, I think I'm going to have it take place in a like in Mojo world or something like that. Cause uh, you know, I think that's the next step of queer storytelling is to like, stop putting so much like weight and importance on it. You know, I think we're totally allowed to just have fun too. Um, while handling, incredibly intense themes of intersectionality and marginalization and prejudice. Uh, anyway, I'm Cena. Thank you so much for listening. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe Dog. to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.